I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2 is what we're going to focus on this morning. Today we're in the final week of a series we started a few weeks ago, essentially the beginning of this month, titled We Are the Church, in which we are identifying four Christ-honoring practices that are meant to foster unity amongst us as believers, but not only foster unity, but more importantly, to strengthen our witness for Christ. In week one, just as a recap, we talked about the practice of communion, which we said celebrates Christ's sacrifice on our behalf when he died on the cross. In week two, we talked about the practice of confession and how it helps us to make a bold and courageous stand for Christ in the world that we are called to live in. And then last week, we talked about the importance of baptism as an exercise of declaring publicly that we are aligned with Jesus, as was the quote I shared with you last week. We are, in essence, drawing the line in the sand, saying, from this point forward, I am with Christ. Now, today, I want us to look at the fourth and final practice, and this is the practice of worship. When you think of the word worship, what immediately comes to mind? This is a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about it for a few seconds here. When you think of the word worship, what immediately comes to mind? For many people, the word worship tends to conjure up an image of a weekly experience, a weekly gathering uh, that people go to to sing songs and to give an offering and to hear somebody preach. That's for them what worship is. Others think worship is simply singing spiritual songs, songs that talk about Jesus, that talks about what a relationship with God means and how he's impacted our lives and how much we love him. Others think that worship um, refers to a particular feeling or a mindset um, the problem that I feel like with these definitions, even though there's nothing necessarily wrong about these different aspects or expressions of worship, is that um, the tendencies for us to begin to think that worship is nothing more than something that we do in a particular place and in a particular way. More importantly, I believe when we operate by what I believe is a narrow-minded view of worship, then what we're actually doing is feeding a tendency to make worship more about us and very little about God. Very little about the one that you and I are called to ultimately give ourselves to our lives to. I recall a story from several years back. It was a story about a minister. His name is Tom Beecher. Tom was asked to take the place of his famous brother. His brother's name was Henry uh, Ward Beecher, famous preacher in New York. And, you know, be, uh, whenever Pastor Henry would preach, crowds would show up. And so, as expected, um, crowds gathered to hear Pastor Henry preach. But when Pastor Tom showed up to the pulpit, uh, so disappointed were many in the crowd that they began to get up and walk out of the building because they were expecting Pastor Henry. And because Pastor Henry is not who they saw at the pulpit, they thought Pastor Tom was not worth listening to. And sensing their disappointment, and this can only be God, Pastor Tom raises his hand for silence and he announces, all those who came here this morning to worship Henry Beecher should leave the service. All who came to worship God should remain. And realizing what was happening, those who were headed for the exits began to make their way back to their seats. After which Pastor Tom was then able to preach the message that God had put in his heart. You see, guys, uh, guys, <laughs> I'm not talking to teenagers. Forgive me. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, God's desire this morning is that our worship would evoke so much more than just us being in a particular place or doing a specific thing. God's desire is that worship would represent a wholehearted response to him. 
Worship must be a wholehearted acknowledgement of who he is and a response to the invitation that he makes to you and I to have a relationship with him so that we can, by our lives, celebrate the joy and fulfillment that comes from knowing Christ. I want you to notice that in this definition that I've just shared of what worship is, there is no suggestion that it is limited to an experience or that it is limited to a particular place. Worship, when you look at the Bible's definition of what worship is, is that it involves placing Christ at the center of our lives. I love that song we sang. Jesus at the center of it all. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes? We weren't singing, it's all about me. Yes, it's all about me. No, we were singing, it's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Worship, whether we sing, whether it is, it is reading the scriptures, whether it is obeying the scriptures, whether it is our witness for Christ in the world, every aspect of our lives, what constitutes worship, no matter how it is expressed, must be centered on Christ. Everything we think, we say, we do must stem, friends, from a desire to please God, a desire to honor Him, a desire to celebrate Him as Lord over our lives. And in Romans chapter 12, we're going to see the Apostle Paul paint this vivid picture for you and I of what worship is. And again, he will make this point that it is not an event or an experience, but it is, in fact, a wholehearted response by everyone who is aligned with Jesus to say he is Savior and Lord in my life. So let's read together our text this morning, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When our thinking about worship shifts from a focus on doing to now, as Paul describes, a focus on becoming or a way of life, a state of mind. When our focus on worship, our, our view of worship shifts from simple things that we do, that quote-unquote Christians do when they come into settings like this, and we now see worship as, as, as us offering our lives to God in every setting, in every context, in every situation, and declaring, God, I'm going to live to honor you, and that that's my act of worship, then in fact, worship becomes about God and not about us. Too often, as I said to you, when we think of worship in terms of what we do, it becomes about us and very little about Him. And you can easily say, well, Pastor John, that's not the case. But what I'm saying to you is that this is human nature. When we, when, 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 when we begin to, 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 to view what we do in response to God from the lens of, 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 of certain simple tasks, what happens is that we be, those tasks become our focus. It would, be, it would be no different from a person who has a list of all of the, uh, the, the several tens of thousands of commands in the scriptures and they think that every single day they have to check off every single one of them. It is a legalistic way of looking at things. God doesn't want us to have a legalistic mindset when it comes to worship, when it comes to our response to Him. He wants us to be a wholehearted, He wants us to be a full body, full mind, full spirit, given of ourselves totally to Him. And so in these next few minutes, I want to quickly share with you three characteristics of this kind of lifestyle worship 
that God wants you and I to embody in these two verses that we just read. The first is that worship, if it is truly to be called, um, or to be, to, be, to be a kind of worship that pleases God, must be rooted in gratitude for what God has done. Notice in verse 1, Paul tells us that in view of God's mercy, in other words, he's saying that the impetus for our response to God, the, the motivation for our, our, our worshiping, worshiping God, not just with song, uh, not just with, with our lips, but with our entire lives, no matter where we are, who we're with, or what we are doing, is that, we are, we, 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 is that it is rooted in the gratitude that we feel because of what God has done for us. Do you understand that God has been merciful to us? Everything that God has done for you and I, we did not deserve. We've not earned. We don't have a right to. It is all a gift. And I'm grateful that God freely extends that gift to us. Why? Because He created us for Him. He created us to know Him. He created us to walk in relationship with Him. If God had to operate in response to us based on what we deserve, we would all be lost. But because of His great love for us, the Bible says that God invites you and I to relationship with Him. And as we, as we come to terms with the, 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 the magnitude of, of this thing called a relationship with a holy, righteous God, a relationship that is made possible because of what Jesus willingly did on the cross 2,000 years ago, we should, have a, 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 we, we should always be in a state of gratitude for God's mercies in our lives. And we committed to living our lives in light of that gratitude that we feel toward Him. So that when, 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 I'm, when, when, I'm walking, when, when I'm walking in obedience to the word or, or following the Holy Spirit's direction, I'm doing it because I recognize, God, what you've done for me, this is a, a small price to pay. Obedience to you is a small price to pay knowing everything you've done for me, knowing everything you've made possible in my life, knowing the transformation you've brought me through, the changes you've brought me from, the things you've del del delivered me from. That I'm willing to live my life for you. Why? Because I am grateful for what you have done. So Paul says that we are to live our lives in view of God's mercy. And, and, and so a, a life that is, a, a true worship that is rooted in gratitude for, for what God has done recognizes that, that everything that we do in, in response to him is about acknowledging him for who he is. So when we are in the world and we are in our neighborhood, we are in our community, we are in our schools, we are in, at our jobs, no matter who we are engaging, that everything about us is, 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 is embodying who Christ is. It is celebrating who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. Why? Because we are grateful for what he's done. We are grateful for what he's done. When I, when, I, when, I, when I get to tell a person about Christ and the difference he's made in my life, I, I don't do it with a sour look on my face. I don't do it as if, well, I'm telling you about this because I'm supposed to tell you about this. No, I do it because I'm grateful. Because I, I know that what, even as Paul said, what the transformation that, 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 that I've experienced is a real transformation. And I want you to experience that as well. It is not about being converted to a religion or an experience. It is about knowing the God who loves us and has made himself available to us so that we can know him. In Hebrews 12 verse 28, look at what the writer says. Therefore... Because we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And he's talking to believers here. He says, in you and I coming into relationship with Christ, we have received a kingdom. We've received, what does the word kingdom refer to? Kingdom refers to rule. It refers not just simply to rule, but it also refers to um, a, a, an association or, 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 or an agreement or, or a partnership. We've been brought under the rule of Christ. Um, and so we're called to 
So we're called to, because we've embraced Christ, we receive his rule in our lives. We are invited to represent him in the world we live. And this kingdom we represent, this kingdom that we have experienced, this rule we've experienced, the Bible says cannot be shaken. And because it cannot be shaken, our response is to show gratitude by which way, by which the scripture says we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Gratitude is so important in, in our response to, to what God has done in our lives. This is part of how we, we, we worship the Lord, by, 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 by making sure that our worship, our, our response to God and our, our, our witness for Christ is, is grounded in the gratitude we feel for what God has done in our lives. But not only that, true worship is also grounded, second point, in a godly and obedient lifestyle. Notice Paul says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word conform in other, it means, it means to, to not only associate yourself with the way of thinking or the, the choices or the decisions or the habits of a particular mindset or a, a worldview, but it also, it also represents um, adherence or obedience or acceptance to its way of life. So when you and I come to faith in Christ, and the Bible says that we are to not conform to the pattern of this world. Why? Because we've been brought out of this world into Christ, into relationship with Christ. What the scripture is saying is that how we demonstrate true worship to God is that we are committed to a life of obedience to Him. Jesus said over and over in His ministry, He said, if you love me, the way you show so is by obeying me. You can't say you love me, but then you're not doing what I command you to do. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, the reason why the believers were even called Christian was because those who were outside of the faith saw that these people were living the teachings of Christ. Christ's teachings was reflected in their lifestyle. They were obedient to the Lord. They, they took seriously the teachings of Christ and they lived accordingly. And that must be our same mindset as well. And every single day we are committed to living a life of obedience to the Lord. Does that mean it's easy? Never. It is never easy. Why? Because this flesh is constantly wanting to have its way. This flesh is constantly wanting to do its own thing. And I have to constantly say to this flesh, it is not you and you, you are not in charge anymore. Because I am no longer my own. I belong to him. And, and, and the way that I show worship to the one who has done so much for me is that I walk in godly and obedient, in a godly and obedient lifestyle. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to verse 15, this is what the Apostle Peter describes it as. He says, you and I must live as God's obedient children. And this is how he shows that we are to live in obedience. He says, we should not slip back into our old ways of living to satisfy our own desires. Two things you need to notice in that scripture. One, our desires never die simply because we are following Christ. The flesh's desires never die simply because we are following Christ. The flesh will still always express what it wants. But the decision you and I make, because we choose to follow him, is to say, I will not give in to my flesh today. I will not say what my flesh wants to say. I will not act in the way my flesh wants to act. I will not think the things my flesh wants to think on or the, the, the things my flesh wants to dwell on. Why? Because I am committed to obedience to the Lord. He says, he goes on to say, you didn't know any better then, referring to the old way of living. But now, and that phrase right there is so important. He says, but now, he's talking about the present and essentially talking about the future. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do. What is the definition of holiness? That which conforms to the will of God. That which conforms to the pattern that God has set. That is what is holy. Anything that is contrary to his will, that is contrary to the pattern he has established, is unholy. 
And you and I cannot experience or engage a holy God and then operate in a way that is contradictory to who he is. So the Bible says to you and I that we must live as his obedient children and be holy in everything we do as the one who has called us, who has chosen us. And I love that word, who chose you is holy. So when we think about what it means to live a life of worship, we realize that what it means is that it's not just simply the songs I sing or, or an experience I attend on a, on a day of the week, but that everywhere I am, no matter who I'm with or what I'm doing, that my life is lived in obedience to the one who has called me. Why? Because obedience is an act of worship. Last week at our men's Bible study, we had uh, Brother Emmanuel share the devotion, and it was a powerful devotion. And I want to use a, I want to share a quick plug to all of the brothers, 18 and older. We have a Bible study that meets every Sunday from four to five. It is an important one hour investing in your spiritual walk. You're connecting with brothers. Please join us. Not just, I don't want to sound like I'm begging you. I'm encouraging you to join us because it is it's a great time of, of fellowship and encouragement. But Brother Emmanuel talked about this issue of obedience and how, how, how we, 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 are, we demonstrate our submission to Christ by our obedience to Him. Too often we downplay the importance of obedience to God. We, we may think that, that we, can, we can cut corners when it comes to our submission to the Lord. But friends, you cannot be submitted if you're not obedient. If you're not obedient, then you're not submissive. And so we must be committed, friends, to, 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 to acknowledging God that, that I'm not only going to simply talk about loving you. I'm not going to only simply talk about serving you or, or with my lips simply say that you're Lord of my life. I'm going to show it by how I live. Now, does that mean that sometimes you're going to be in a very difficult position or situation? Yes. There are going to be times where in obeying God, it's going to come at a cost. But the cost does not define the value of the, of the call to obey. We obey, why? Because the one who has called us to obey is worthy of our worship. And we can trust that if he calls us to obey, that he will also take care of whatever sacrifices we have to make in obeying him. In obeying him. One thing I know about God is that God will never cheat one of us. You obey him, God will honor his word in your life. God will never leave you hanging because you obey him. Too often we operate in fear because we're thinking, well, God, if it doesn't work out, what am I going to do? If it and God is simply saying, why are you even considering the fact that it's not going to work out when I'm the one that's asking you to do this? If we believe that God is God, then we can trust that whatever he says, he will back up. And that it doesn't matter what the collateral or the cost may be, God, what God will give us in return, what God will, what God, what God, the blessing that God brings in our life for our obedience is so much more worth is worth so much more than whatever it is it's going to cost us. That we can be able to declare, even as the Bible says, even as the, the psalmist writes, even though he slays me, I will still follow him. Why? Because following him is worth it. There is nothing else that compares to it. So true worship must be grounded in a godly and obedient lifestyle. And here's the last point this morning. True worship must be invested in Christ's mission of changing lives. Paul writes... That as we are conformed, as, as we choose to not be conformed to this world, we must be transformed, he says, by the renewing of our minds. Transformation means change. I heard a preacher say many years ago, God loved me just the way I am, but he loved me too much to let me stay the same. When you and I come to faith in Christ, it's so that he might transform our lives. It's not so we can, we, we can start coming to church. That's not the goal. Or that we can start identifying as Christian, whereas we identified as something different prior to coming to faith in Christ. 
when he enters into our lives, he does so that he might change our lives. That's why the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That word new is important because that word new suggests that something is different. When you are in Christ, you are different. There is a change that must take place in our lives. We cannot claim to be for Christ, but we're still living in the world. We must change. And Christ's mission is to bring change. That's why you and I are who we are today. Why? Because Christ came into our lives and he changed us. And his mission is to change others. And so we must understand that worship involves investing ourselves in the mission that Christ has, ha, has of not only changing lives, having changed our lives, but that also through our lives, he might change somebody else as well. I want you to hear what Colossians 4 verse 5 and 6 says. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That word wisely is in reference to how we live. Again, remember we said worship is about giving ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Mind, body, and spirit to say, God, use me. God, be glorified in my life. Be glorified through my life. Well, when we invest ourselves in the mission that Christ has called us to, of, of sharing this gospel that changes people's lives, what we are saying is, is that I'm not only a witness to what the gospel has done in my life, but I want others to experience that same power as well. We are called to live wisely. Why? Because there are opportunities all around us to express to others what Jesus can do for them as well. And that expression is not only just what we say, friends, it is how we live. So when unbelievers see how we make choices and decisions, where they see that we choose to not walk in compromise, when they see us walking in integrity, when they see us committed to, to treating people the way Christ would want us to treat them, even if, you know, and, and it has nothing to do with whether they deserve that treatment or not, what it does is it, it points them to Him. What it does is it helps them to see, wow. This person is who they are because of what Christ has done in their lives. And what it does is it's meant to create a hunger and a desire in their hearts to want the same as well. I've told you before, that's how I came to faith in Christ. I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church, but I was not, I was not with the Lord. I, my heart was not for him. But when I began to see peers who, like me, claimed to follow Christ, but yet... Things that I was willing to compromise on, to, 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 to discount as, as necessary to, to demonstrate my commitment to the Lord. You know, areas of just disobedience, blatant disobedience to the Lord's instructions. And I saw that they were not willing to, to compromise in, that area, in those areas. Here's what it did. It brought conviction to me. I recognized I can't say I'm a Christian. And yet my life is, is, is so far removed from who Christ is. Being a Christian is not about me going to church or, or, or simply acknowledging or identifying as a Christian. Being a, being a follower of Christ is about, is about living my life in such a way that when people see me, they see him. They see his influence. They see his presence in my life. They see that, that anything I'm able to do, I'm not, I'm not doing because I'm simply a good person, but they see that I'm able to do those things. Why? Because he lives in me and he's living through me. And that's the invitation that God makes to every one of us today. Think about this, friends. If as the church, as the body of Christ, we were all committed to living a life of worship in, in, in the world, in the, in, 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 our highway, in the highways and byways of life, and we're committed to letting Christ be seen in what we say, what we do, how we think, how we respond to others, how much more impactful would we, would we be on our culture today? 
But too often, what what's being said about Christians is that we we are we are we are cowering, we are we are we are we are resisting opportunities to take a stand for Christ. We are trying to play it safe. We are more concerned about what the world thinks about us than about whether or not we are willing to be faithful witnesses to Christ in the highways and byways of life. The Bible is inviting you and I to embrace the call that Christ has placed in our lives and to see that, that how we live every day is an act of worship unto the Lord when we invest ourselves in this mission of seeing lives changed. Worship is more than just singing songs. Worship is more than just coming into a, a, a place where you gather with others, even though they are important. Not to suggest this morning that any of those things are not important. They are important. But there is so much more to worship than just what we do. Are we living lives that honor Him? Are we living lives that glorify Him? Are we living lives that, that point others to who He is and invite them to experience Him like we have? I want to share with you this, this quote by a 19th century Anglican priest. His name is William Temple. And this is how he describes worship. He says to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. He says to worship is to feed the mind with the truth of God. To worship is to purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To worship is to open the heart to the love of God. And to worship is to devote the will to the purpose of God. Notice it is not a one-sided response. It is a wholehearted response. God is saying to us that you and I must embrace His holiness, embrace His truth, embrace His beauty, embrace His love, embrace His purpose. Every aspect of our lives is meant to be an act of worship before a holy God. And so I say to you this morning as we close, true worship, friends, is about using our thoughts, our words, our actions to honor Christ. So let your worship today and every single day, again, no matter where you are, who you're with, or what you're doing, let it be rooted in gratitude for everything that God has done for you. Let it be grounded in a lifestyle of obedience, and let it be a daily witness to the power of the gospel to change lives. Because that's what God's desire is for you and I today. There will be a people who would worship Him, truly worship Him in spirit and in truth, an experience that embodies every part of who we are. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ, or maybe your relationship with Christ can best be described as very platonic. Uh, you engage Him when you need Him, you seek Him when you want something from Him. I, I want to say to you this morning that, that if, you're not, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you're missing out on the greatest, the greatest, the greatest relationship that you and I can ever enter into. A relationship with a holy God, a perfect God, a righteous God who loves you more than, more than you can ever imagine and has made provision for you to know Him, but not just to know Him simply by way of your, your response to His invitation to open the, your, the door of your heart to Him and allow Him to come into your life, but His desire, God's desire, is to live in you, to live through you, and to be expressed through you every single day. God wants to reveal Himself to you. God wants to speak into your life. God wants you to discern His presence. God wants you to discern His Spirit speaking to you at every turn of your life. God isn't interested in, in, in being involved in an aspect of your life. God wants to be involved in every part of your life. That's why He sent His Son to die. But He won't force you to choose Him. He invites you to choose Him. That choice is yours. And so I want to invite everyone to please bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. And if you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor John, I, I hear what you're saying today. 
And I want a relationship with Jesus. Even now, right where you are sitting, you can call on his name. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The Bible tells us that, that, that knowing him begins with acknowledging that he is who he says he is. And that what he did on the cross was so that you and I might be redeemed from the power of sin, brought into relationship with God. So that as the Spirit now lives in us, and lives through us, we can be an expression, the expression of who God is to a watching world. God's desire is for you to know Him today. And I invite you, even as I lead us in prayer this morning, you can call out to your Heavenly Father. He stands at the door of your heart. He's knocking and He's waiting for you to open that door so He can come in and He can take over the whole of your life. Change the whole of your life so that you can become everything He wants you to be in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for reminding us in your word today, God, about that worship is truly, God, about giving ourselves to you fully. Not a part of us, Lord, not the parts that we think you deserve, but God, giving our whole self, recognizing that when Christ died on the cross, he died to redeem our whole self. Every aspect of our lives, our past, our present, our future, our shortcomings, Father God, even our strengths, Father, the things that we tend to take pride in, God. Jesus died for every part of us that we might know you, God, and have a relationship with you. And God, I thank you this morning for reminding us in your word that, that your desire, Lord, is for us to embrace a worship that is wholehearted, a worship that is all-encompassing, Father, a worship, Father God, that glorifies you because it helps others to see you for who you are. God, help us be faithful in the calling that you placed on our lives to be salt and light in the world today. Help us to not do so in our own strength or power or wisdom, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would declare to a watching world that our God is a great God. Our God is a God who loves and wants to change lives. And God, for whomever may be here this morning, who even now, Father, is calling out to you, God, and asking you to forgive, because they desire more than just an experience, Father. They desire more than just uh, a platonic relationship. God, they truly want to know you. They want to experience, Lord God, the, the life that comes from walking with you, God. I thank you that, God, even now, God, you're responding to that heart, God, that is seeking you wholeheartedly, Lord Jesus. And that, God, you're moving by your spirit, Father. Father, to give them a new identity, God, a new sense of purpose, a new calling, Father. And you're setting them apart, Father God, for your, for your glory. God, I pray for whomever may be here today, God, who is responding in faith to you, God. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that to those who believe in his name, the name of our Savior Jesus, you give the right to become sons and daughters of God. That today all things have become new because they've embraced Christ. And God, may their lives going forward, Father God, bring honor and glory to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.